In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm talking about airline codes and airport codes. But first, I'm going to look at one of the aspects of flying that causes the most anxiety, turbulence. Welcome to episode 33 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel to help you become a smarter and savvier traveler. I wanted to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for tuning into Flying Smarter. There have been a lot of new listeners lately, and I'm super glad and grateful to have you join me. For those of you who've been longtime listeners, thank you for your ongoing support of the show, and I hope that I can continue to provide interesting and helpful insights and tips for air travel. And a special thank you to those of you who've reached out to chat or share feedback on the show. It's always great hearing from you. Now, let's get started. Turbulence makes me nervous. Do I need to be afraid? We've covered turbulence on Flying Smarter before, but it's one of the most common topics that gets brought up. I've seen questions about turbulence asked countless times in my own experience, but also from hosting the podcast. Special shout out to Jamie and Glenn for reaching out to me with questions about turbulence. There's a whole episode of Flying Smarter dedicated to turbulence where I talk with airline pilot Owen Zupp and ask him some of the most frequently asked questions about turbulence, but I want to provide an overview here given how it can be a point of nervousness even for frequent flyers. Quite often you'll be sitting on a plane and you'll hear an announcement asking you to remain seated with your seatbelt fastened because your flight is going through some turbulence. And when you hear that type of announcement, or when you feel the plane get bumped around a bit, it can understandably be a bit nerve-wracking. You might hear plates rattling and see flight attendants going back to their seats. The good news for you though is that while turbulence might cause your drink to spill a little, except maybe in the rarest of rare cases, it's very unlikely to pose a real danger to your plane. Turbulence isn't going to crash your plane, so while it might be annoying and uncomfortable, it doesn't need to be frightening as well. People do get injured as a result of turbulence, but it generally happens because either they're unsecured or something else is unsecured and hits them, not because their plane went into a spiral dive or something. It comes up on the news once in a while, but in some rare cases of severe turbulence, it can send objects flying around the cabin or meal carts rolling down the aisles. This is why it's important to obey the fasten seatbelt sign even if everything seems fine. It's probably on because the pilots either anticipate or suspect turbulence coming up. I believe that there's only been a single passenger airliner crash that's resulted from turbulence, and that occurred in 1966, when the state of aircraft and forecasting technology was quite different from what it is today. If you do get a bit anxious or motion sickness because of turbulence though, where you sit on the plane can make a bit of a difference. The areas over the wing and towards the front of the aircraft tend to give a bit of a smoother ride than the seats at the back of the plane. So if turbulence does make you queasy, that might be worth keeping in mind. If you have more questions about turbulence or would simply like to hear a pilot's perspective on turbulence, take a listen to episode 8 of Flying Smarter if you haven't done so already. My guest there, an airline pilot, Owen Zupp, is fantastic and he provides some super interesting and valuable insights on the topic of turbulence. If there's something that hasn't been covered, feel free to reach out to me and I'll try to get it answered for you on the podcast. I really enjoy bringing Flying Smarter to you. As you can probably tell, I'm super passionate about the world of air travel and I love sharing this passion with you. I could really use your help with growing and improving the podcast though and I have an easy and free way for you to do so. 
If you enjoy listening to Flying Smarter and have been able to learn from the podcast, please help me out by leaving a five-star review on your podcast app. It helps grow the audience as well as convince prospective guests that the show is going to be worth their time to come on and share their knowledge and insights with you. If you're listening on a platform that allows you to do so, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave a positive review for the podcast. Thank you so much for your support. If you've listened to past episodes of Flying Smarter, you'll know that this is the part where there's usually some sort of fun fact or interesting tidbit about air travel. In this episode, the interesting fact will actually come at the end of the main segment as it requires a bit of context. With that in mind, let's get into today's main segment. JFK, LHR, SIN. You're bound to have heard these three letter codes when you're flying, and others like these. But these three airports are also simultaneously KJFK, EGLL, and WSSS. What's behind all these codes? That's what we're going to look into in this episode to help you better understand airport codes. Let's start with the most common type of airport code that you as a traveler will see, the three-letter IATA code. IATA is the International Air Transport Association, and it's a global trade organization for airlines. It facilitates coordination and standardization throughout the airline industry, publishing things like standards and policy, providing training, organizing slot conferences to help airports and airlines coordinate airport slots, and of course, assigning airport codes. The formal name for these IATA codes is a location identifier. Now, IATA is one of the two major entities that assigns airport codes around the world, and I'm going to talk about both. The other is ICAO, but I'm going to talk about IATA codes first. IATA codes are largely used for customer-facing functions, like timetables, cargo, and most notably, baggage. You probably know that your luggage tag will have the three-letter IATA location identifier of your final destination on it, like LAX or JFK or LHR as well as the codes for any connecting airports. On a side note, you may have to pick up your bag sometime during your trip in some cases when you have a connection, so it's always good practice to ensure that you know if this is going to be the case and to take a look at where your bag is checked through to when you're checking in. Checked bags take an amazing journey from the check-in area onto your plane, onto any connecting flights, and then to the baggage carousel at your destination airport. And this is actually the topic for the main segment of the very first episode of Flying Smarter. So to learn more about the journey of your checked bag, including why it can get lost, make sure to take a listen to that. But what we need to know for today is that the three-letter airport code or codes on your bag tag are IATA location identifiers. So, Back to airport codes. Airport codes help airlines and airports communicate and work together effectively. Standardizing airport codes helps ensure that there's no confusion between airlines when booking itineraries with multiple carriers or checking bags on itineraries with multiple airlines. Let's take a look at how IATA airport codes are assigned. There are a bunch of different considerations when it comes to assigning these codes that I'll go through. Perhaps in an ideal world, the location identifiers would be the first three letters of the name of the city that the airport serves. There are many airports where this is the case. ATL for Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport, MEX for Mexico City International Airport, and SAN for San Diego International Airport. But of course, we can't have duplicate airport codes, so this won't always work. 
since San Diego has SAN, San Jose's airport is SJC, Santa Fe Regional Airport is SFE, and San Antonio International Airport is SAT. Like these three, many other iaticos are formed with some combination of the letters in the city name, but not necessarily the first three letters. Examples are SLC for Salt Lake City International Airport, HKG for Hong Kong International Airport, and AKL for Auckland Airport. Similarly, some codes are formed from letters in the airport name, rather than the city name, such as JFK for New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport, and LHR for London Heathrow Airport. IATA location identifiers using airport names rather than city names is especially common in cities with multiple airports. In London, for example, there are six commercial passenger airports, and their IATA codes are based on each name. Heathrow is LHR, Gatwick is LGW, Stansted is STN, Luton is LTN, Southend is SEN, and London City is LCY. In Tokyo, you have HND for Haneda Airport and NRT for Narita Airport. IATA codes can also be moved between airports. When Istanbul got a new airport in 2019, the IATA code IST was transferred to the new airport, with the older airport getting a new IATA code of ISL. There are also some codes with less obvious origins. Orlando International Airport is MCO because it used to be called McCoy Air Force Base. I remember that when I first saw ORD as Chicago Harris Code, I wonder why ORD wasn't given to Orlando. Well, turns out, Chicago O'Hare is ORD because its original name was Orchard Field. Nashville International Airport has BNA, as its name was originally Berry Field. And Maui's main airport is OGG, as a nod to Hawaiian aviator Bertram J. Hogg. In the United States, the Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, actually also has its own airport code system, known as FAA Identifiers. FAA identifiers can range from 3 to 5 characters and can also include numbers. Benson Municipal Airport in Benson, Arizona, for example, has an FAA identifier of E95. Four-character identifiers are for private facilities like the Los Angeles County Fire Department's heliport, which has an FAA identifier of 1CA9. At commercial airports, FAA identifiers generally line up with the IATA location identifiers, but there are some exceptions. For example, Phoenix Mesa Gateway Airport's IATA code is AZA, but its FAA identifier is IWA. The FAA system tries to avoid codes that start with certain letters. Identifiers starting with N, for example, are generally reserved for Navy airfields. They also avoid K and W because those are used for radio stations, but I'll talk more about that later. FAA identifiers are coordinated with Canadian authorities, so airports in the US generally don't have codes starting with a Y, since Y is used widely for Canadian airport codes. There are exceptions to these rules though. Like I said, N is generally reserved for Navy airfields, so Newark Liberty International Airport doesn't get NEW. But a general aviation airport in New Orleans, called Lakefront Airport, has NEW as both its FAA and IATA identifiers. Y is generally for Canadian airports, but YKM is McAllister Field or Yakima Air Terminal in Washington State. Let's talk about Canadian airports for a moment. The ones that you've heard of probably all have IATA codes that start with the letter Y. 
YVR for Vancouver International Airport, YYC for Calgary International Airport, YYZ for Toronto Pearson, YUL for Montreal Trudeau International Airport, etc. There are actually a couple competing theories and stories about why this is the case. The most commonly told narrative is that the Y is a result of weather station naming in the 1930s. Weather stations in Canada had two-letter codes with a third letter being the prefix. Most notably, a Y prefix was used when the weather station was at an airport, and W was used when the station wasn't with an airport, with the W meaning without. Z was used when the weather station code had already been used in the United States. So while major Canadian airports all have three-letter IATICO starting with Y, there are some that have codes starting with other letters. For example, Powell Lake Water Aerodrome on Vancouver Island has an IATA code of WPL. Another potential origin for the Y airport codes is radio stations and call signs created in the 1910s. Again, there was cooperation between Canada and the United States. American stations used four-letter codes that started with K, while Canadian ones used codes starting with CY. The topic of radio stations is going to come up again later. Now remember how I said that the formal name for IATA airport codes is actually a location identifier and not an airport identifier? Well, that's because IATA codes don't just refer to airports. In some cases, you can actually buy itineraries through airlines that involve train or bus travel, so some bus terminals and train stations have IATA codes as well. In some cases, railway stations at airports share the same airport code as the airport itself, like in Amsterdam where the airport and its railway station both have the code AMS. Some standalone stations also have IATA location identifiers though, like XEA for Pacific Central Station in Vancouver, which has both bus and train service. In Scotland, Aberdeen Railway Station has the IATA code of ZXA, and in Paris, the Gare du Nord train station has the IATA identifier of XPG. Cities with multiple airports will sometimes also have a city code that allows passengers to search for flights to or from all airports in that city. For example, when searching for flights, you can generally use the code NYC to search for flights to all three major airports in the New York area, being JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. Other examples include LON for London's six passenger airports and TYO for Tokyo's two airports. As we can see, IATA has to work with many different preferences and systems among governments and airports, which means that there's no consistent system when it comes to deciding IATA location identifiers. There are certainly considerations that are taken into account, but there's no way to say, for example, all codes are derived from the city name, or even that all Canadian airport codes start with a Y. Some use letters from the airport name, some use letters for the city name, some are former airport names, Canadian ones tend to start with a Y, but not necessarily, etc. Now, even though there's no standard system for assigning codes, the whole point of the codes themselves are for standardizing things among airlines. These codes allow airlines to interoperate and help bags, cargo, and passengers get where they need to go each and every day. For the most part, airports that you're going to be flying in and out of will also have a four-letter IKO code. ICAO is the International Civil Aviation Organization, and along with IATA, it is the other entity that assigns airport codes around the world. While IATA is a trade association, ICAO is a United Nations body that serves as a forum for various governments to coordinate international civil aviation. 
ICAO develops policies and standards, conducts research and analysis, and helps governments and stakeholders build aviation capacity and coordinate aviation worldwide. ICAO also assigns airport codes or location identifiers, and these ones have four letters. Now, the three-letter IATA codes are generally only assigned to commercial airports. Remember that they are largely used for customer-facing functions like baggage and timetables. And as such, smaller airports without passenger service that mostly serve general aviation may not have one of these three-letter IATA codes. However, ICAO assigns its codes to what it calls aerodromes, and this covers a wider range of facilities. While small airports and military airfields may not have a three-letter IATA location identifier, they'll likely have a four-letter ICAO code. With four letters, there are tons more available combinations than with the three letters, and that allows ICAO to assign more codes overall than IATA. Like I discussed earlier, there isn't any clear defined system when it comes to looking at IATA codes, but the same isn't true for ICAO codes. Looking at an ICAO code, you can get an idea of where the airport is located by looking at the first letters. Canadian airports start with a C, and airports in the continental United States start with the letter K. In most cases in the US and Canada, the ICAO code is just the IATA code plus C or K. So Los Angeles International Airport is LAX and KLAX, Denver International Airport is DEN and KDEN, and Vancouver International Airport is YVR and CYVR. Outside of Canada and the US though, it's the first two letters of the ICAO code that contain location information, with the first letter representing a region of the world, and the second letter indicating a country. E, for example, is used for Northern Europe. EG is used for the United Kingdom, so a London Heathrow's ICAO code is EGLL, while its IATA code is LHR. EB is for Belgium, so Brussels Airport is EBBR, while its IATA code is BRU. At the beginning of this segment, I mentioned SIN, which is the IATA code for Singapore Changi Airport, which is an obvious code. But then I said that it's also WSSS, and that's because the W represents part of Southeast Asia, and WS is for Singapore, so Singapore Changi's ICAO code is WSSS. As you can tell, outside of Canada and the United States, airports tend to have very different looking IATA and ICAO codes. U.S. airports outside of the lower 48 don't have ICAO codes starting with K. Airports in Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, and other Pacific islands have ICAO codes that start with the letter P. Honolulu is PHNL, and Anchorage has PANC. So I said that the topic of radio stations would come up again. You might remember that I said the FAA avoids assigning K and W to their three-letter codes which might be why Kansas City International Airport doesn't have a code starting with K. Apparently, this is because K and W are used for civilian broadcasters. You've probably heard your local radio station use these codes, like WLAC in Nashville, which goes by Talk Radio 98.3 and 1510 WLAC, and 102.9 The Wolf, which is assigned the code KMNB in Minneapolis. Here is a bit of a problem. So the FAA tries to avoid using K and W to start the three-letter codes because they're used for broadcasters. But remember how four-letter ICAO codes for the continental US start with the letter K? So we have a situation where in the US, KLAX not only represents Los Angeles International Airport, but also two broadcasters. 
KLAX FM is a radio station in Los Angeles, California, while KLAX TV is an ABC affiliate television station in Alexandria, Louisiana. KPHX is the assigned ICAO code for Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, but if you type those four letters into Wikipedia, you'll find the page for the KPHX AM radio station. I don't really have a good explanation for why this is the case, but I can say that it's probably not really an ideal situation. Anyway, so if airports already have an IATA code, then what's the point of also having a four-letter ICAO code? Or you can ask the question the other way, saying, well, if ICAO codes are more comprehensive and there's more of them, then why bother with IATA codes? ICAO codes are largely used by pilots and their navigation tools and software, as well as air traffic control. That's why small airports have them too. IATA is a trade organization for commercial aviation, so they've come up with a system for commercial airports and airlines. One way to look at it is that pilots and air traffic controllers will use the four-letter ICAO codes, while ticketing agents and baggage handlers will look at the three-letter IATA codes. IATA serves the air travel system, while ICAO oversees aviation more broadly. Could it possibly be combined into one system? Probably, but changing the established systems would likely require a lot of work and resources that would make it an unworthy proposition. Plus, it would probably be the IATA codes that go since there are less possible combinations, so you'd lose airport codes like LHR and HKG. Did you know that there's an airport out there with three IATA codes? Euro Airport Basel Mulhouse Freiburg is a single airport that serves three cities in three countries. Basel, Switzerland, Mulhouse, France, and Freiburg, Germany. The airport sits just west of the tri-point where the three countries meet and is jointly administered by France and Switzerland under an international convention. Over 20 airlines serve the airport, connecting it mostly with destinations throughout Europe. Because of its unique status, the airport has three IATA codes. BSL is the Swiss code, MLH is the French code, and EAP is considered the neutral code. However, it only has one ICAO code, LFSB. I hope that this main segment helped demystify what's behind all these different codes that you've probably seen or heard of. In explaining these codes, I also had to give an overview of two main international bodies that help coordinate aviation around the world, with those being ICAO and IATA. I think that it would be interesting to look at international bodies and how they shape our travel experience, so that might be an episode down the line. If you're enjoying listening to Flying Smarter, please take a minute to leave a 5-star review for the show if you're listening on a podcast platform that allows you to do so, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. It helps convince prospective listeners and guests, and I would really appreciate your help. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.